Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. I want to share a message with you this morning concerning prayer. And uh, prayer is simply our communication with God. And we all know this communication is essential. It's the key for any relationship, uh, including our relationship with God. So key communication is the key to any healthy relationship. We all know this. If communication breaks down in a relationship, the relationship sours. It becomes very difficult. And God created us for this very purpose, for the reason, for the purpose of fellowship, that we can have a conversation with him. And prayer is vital to our relationship with God. Prayer is meaningful conversation necessary for a meaningful relationship with God. Prayer is a meaningful conversation necessary for a meaningful relationship with God. So if we want a closer relationship with God, then prayer is going to be essential to that. Jeremiah 29, 12 says this, Then you will call upon me, and look at this, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So if our relationship with God isn't where we want it to be, most likely it's because our prayer life isn't where it could be. So if God seems distant or if he seems silent when we pray, uh, there's a reason, and, and most likely it's this. It's not that he just is too busy or whatever. It's probably there's something in between he and, I, he and us. You know, There's something between us, between us and God, maybe not quite aligning ourselves with the grace of God. Second Chronicles says this, 714, very familiar scripture. Look at this, it's two, there's two important words in this verse, if and then, if and then. Pay attention just as I read this. So if my people, that's us, which are called by my name, shall do this, look, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, look at this, then, this is what I'll do. When that happens, this is what I'll do. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So if our relationship with God isn't what it could be, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Search our hearts. What is between you and I? God, what's the barrier? And and why is your voice so distant? But I believe if we just start there, if we'll just humble ourselves, if we'll pray, if we'll seek his face, if we will repent, the Holy Spirit will begin to just speak to us and share with us the heart of God. Share this story with you. A little boy prayed and asked God for a bicycle. But the little boy knew that God doesn't always work like that. So the little boy decided to steal the bike and ask God for forgiveness. Now, why that may not be good theology, that's funny, okay? I don't care what anybody says, that's funny. So, but that's how we handle prayer. You know, I, I'm not saying that we, we bypass prayer, we go steal stuff, we ask God for forgiveness, but we do seem to do this at times. There are times in our relationship with God, we kind of sidestep the importance of prayer, and we do our own thing. Have you ever done this before? God, I'm going to help you accomplish uh, my will for my life. Uh, this is what I want, this is what I desire, this is what I think, so I'm going to do it, and I'm just going to hope you're going to bless me as I do it, or forgive me if I do it. You know, there, there's times where we just want to skip that important aspect, which is to pray, to seek his face. And again, while we may not go to that extreme of stealing something, and then asking God to forgive us for stealing something, I don't know, I don't know how premeditated sin works, I don't really want to find out, but uh, we've all sidestepped prayer, and done what we've wanted. And if you've ever come to this place with prayer, you might, you might have this kind of love-hate relationship with prayer. 
You can pray for something. How many of you had this happen in your lives? You've prayed for something, and what you prayed for, what happened was the complete opposite. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, what did I just pray for? I mean, what, why, why even pray if I, every time I pray, the complete opposite? You know, maybe I should do this. I should pray the opposite, and maybe the opposite will then happen. But it doesn't work that way either, okay? And it can be frustrating. And sometimes we can come to this conclusion concerning prayer. I know that prayer works, but it doesn't work for me. Have you ever felt that way? I know that prayer works. It works for you. It works for everyone else, but it just doesn't work for me. And it can be frustrating. You can come to that conclusion. I pray for this, and it doesn't happen. The complete opposite happens. Maybe I should just shut my mouth. Maybe when I pray, uh, God, God is somehow just repulsed by my voice, whatever it is. What, what is keeping me from God? What, you know, so it can be confusing. It can be very frustrating. So prayer works, and I want to encourage you all to do this, to pray and to keep on praying. Prayer does work, just pray and to keep on praying. That's what I want to do in this message, is just to encourage you to pray, to pray persistently. So that's what my topic is this morning, persistent prayer. Let's look at Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should pray always, or, or excuse me, that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared with what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, Jesus often taught in parables, and parables, parables were a very common way of teaching truth in those days. It wasn't like just Jesus showed up and this was an uncommon method. Uh, rabbis during his day, other teachers used these very methods of sharing something familiar, a familiar story, a, f- a story about familiar things that shares a spiritual truth. So in this parable, Jesus uses the example of a widow facing some type of injustice. So what we can do is this. When we look at a widow, if you are a widow, you can identify with this widow, but only to an extent. Only to an extent, and here's why. A widow living in our nation does not have the same challenges as a widow living then, 2,000 years ago. Especially a female, if you're a female widow. A widow without a male relative was the target for unscrupulous people looking to take advantage of her estate. And Jesus even refers to this in, in Luke chapter 20. It says this, beware of the teachers of the law. They will walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Look at this. They devour widows' houses. Now, if you've ever came across that verse and you look at it, it's like, what does that mean? I mean, does it make sense? They devour widows' houses? I mean, you can't take that literally, right? Like they're, they're going to someone's house and they're eating it. The reason why that verse is there that scribes and teachers of the laws were legal experts. They were the lawyers of the day. 
And, they ha- and remember this, Jewish society is governed domestically by the word of God. So the interpretation and the application of the word was led, led to these lawyers to figure it out. This is how we run our lives. This is how we live our lives as a society of God's people. So the teachers of the law were trained in the interpretation and the application of the law. And these people tend to have great knowledge of the law, the legal system, and they could take advantage of a widow who, was, who had an estate who did not have a male relative. Remember, the estate was passed down in the tribe, generation to generation, to the males. And if you had no male, then you were vulnerable because they could use the legal system then to take your property, to take your estate. It was a very cruel uh, way of th- doing things, but it happened. So if we don't understand that, it doesn't, it, it does, we kind of bypass the importance. But if you have that understanding, as we go through this story of the parable of the persistent widow, you understand her plight, you understand where she was, how she was living life, uh, what her circumstances was. So understanding this disadvantaged widow gives us a better understanding of the truth that's being revealed. So have you ever been in a situation like this widow? The odds were stacked against you. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were being treated unjustly? Just everything was coming against you, where you felt like you had no hope, you felt like that, that you were all alone, you were out there on an island, and not even God knows where you're at. So when you come to that place, you can say, why pray? Why believe? And plus, why would God even put me in this situation? And if we do this, if we concede to our flesh, because those are real things we'll feel and we'll think. Those thoughts go through our minds, but we can't act upon it. We can't just say, you know what, God, I just throw up my hands, I give up. Why pray? Why seek your face? Uh, this is what it is. Why go any further? Because if we throw our hands up like that, we will not find the victory and the blessing that we can find in persistent prayer. Jesus started this parable out by stating the spiritual truth up front, which is really rare for the parables of Jesus. Normally, you have to go through the entire parable, and usually the last line is the most important line in a parable. Just if you're ever studying, usually the truth is in the end of the parable. But he does the opposite here, kind of, okay? But he states that one of the truths right up front. What is that truth? Verse 1, that he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And I would just say this, as you're reading the word, you're studying the word, always slow down. Just slow down and listen to what it's saying. Again, always ought to pray. Always ought to pray and not lose heart. So here's the question. It's not a a matter of I'm going to choose to pray, it's when we pray how you ought to pray. Kind of reminds you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 5, and when you pray, speaking to his disciples, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love stand to stand, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And again, if you didn't get it, and when you pray, verse 7, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Look at this. Then, this then is how you should pray. And I don't know if you know what follows that. It's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So sometimes we handle prayer this way. Well, I I don't need to pray out loud. I mean, we just read God understands, but listen, 
uh, when you ask, when you pray, when you say. Yes, it's, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, thinking about word, the Word of God, thinking about God, but you open your mouth, you pray, you have a conversation with Him. It is important. It's not like Jesus said, and when you pray, just, just think about it. No, when you pray, say these words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So when you pray, here's the question. Is it just an endless monologue of requests, or is there a dialogue? Do you have a dialogue with God? Have you established a meaningful dialogue? Or do you handle prayer this way? I'm just driving down the road, and I'm talking to God, but you're really not talking to God. You're talking at God. There's a big difference between the two. When's the last time you were fully present with God, engaged in a dialogue rather than a monotonous monologue? When you pray, do you have a meaningful conversation with God from your heart? Jesus tells us this parable, this is how we ought to always pray. How we ought to always pray, and that's a statement encouraging persistence. Right from the very beginning, it's encouraging persistence. This is how we ought to pray when the odds are stacked against us. This is how we ought to pray when everyone tells us just to give up. This is how we ought to pray when life doesn't make sense. When our flesh, we're, we're flesh, we're blood, we're prone to, for, uh, to failure, we're prone to giving up, we're prone to becoming weary, letting our guard down, and when we fail, failing to get back on track. And that is our human nature. So Jesus understands that, and he understands that we have to be encouraged, encouraged to keep moving forward. And he uses this example of the widow seeking justice with determination. She is desperate, but yet she is determined in her situation. That is our example in prayer, how to pray with persistence. If you read this parable in its context, which is always important, uh, I love it when people read the word, but sometimes we don't read the word in context. You remember, sometimes we, we read at the end of the chapter, we're like, oh, a new thought. Not always the case. And this is one of those cases. Always read the word of God in context. If you're reading the word, something kind of grabs your heart, go to the verses before and go to the verses after. Read it in its context, okay? So if you read this parable in its context, prior to taking place, this is a conversation that has continued on for the previous chapter. And Jesus had a, a, a discussion that he was having with his disciples about what the world would be like when he returns. So if we just go back a little bit to Luke chapter seven, uh, 17, he describes what the world's going to be like uh, when he returns. And now I'm going to show you how this all kind of connects with persistent prayer. So in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, he gives several examples. This is what the world's going to be like when he returns. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So life is going about its own merry way. Let's go down to verses 28 through 29. And as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Let's go down to verses 31 and 32. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. If you remember Lot's wife, his wife was warned to flee Sodom. To get, God is going to destroy the city. Get out of there, go quickly, don't even look back. 
you keep moving forward. But what does she do? She looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt. She did not persist forward. Are you seeing the connection? She did not continue in moving forward. She was instructed not to look back. What did it show? What was in her heart? Well, I'm torn between the two. I don't want to be destroyed, but I don't want to leave my home. I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave everything I know. But when she moves forward and she looks back, she makes her decision and her fate is sealed. Her heart was more drawn to the things that were behind her. She wasn't moving forward, so her fate was sealed. So Jesus went on to say this in verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So that's the part of the context, the same conversation that he begins to share these words. Then he spoke a parable to them. Then he spoke a parable to them. It wasn't like the next day, the next month, the next note. Then he spoke a parable to them. That man always ought to pray and not lose heart. How we should live by faith, how we should pray, how we should enact our faith daily and not give up. Prophetically speaking, the state of the church prior to Jesus' return, as we look throughout the Gospels, it will be marked by complacency. When Jesus comes for his church, it'll be marked by complacency. When Jesus returns for his church, he won't find the church of the Philadelphians. He'll find the church of the Laodiceans. And you say, well, what does that have to do with prayer? What does the Laodiceans have to do with persisting in prayer? Well, the first three chapters of Revelation, Jesus instructed John. He gave, them, he gave uh, John seven personal messages for seven, seven different churches. Seven local churches and he gives seven messages. And most Bible experts believe, and, and I agree with this, that those seven churches represent seven church ages, or the church throughout seven periods of history, starting from when Jesus ascended into heaven until when he comes back. And if we'll look at the church of the Laodiceans, because they are the last one, if we believe that, that this is representing the church in the end of the age, when Jesus comes, when we aren't persisting as we should, all right, this is a kind of the, the nature of the church. I know your deeds, this is what he says, that you are neither hot or neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other, and it's marked by complacency. If you're not persisting, you'll be complacent. That is the nature of human beings. Let's face it, if we're not moving forward, well, I'm just kind of idling. You know what happens when you idle? You just begin to roll back. Moving forward, persisting. So verse 16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you, and remember, he's talking to the church. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What's the church saying? We're blessed. We got everything we want. We, we're blessed. We are blessed. What's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is this. This is what happens with mankind. Our blessings become our curse. You ever had that happen in your life? Bless, 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 and all of a sudden, your blessing bites you in the rear end. This is what I mean by that. In that picture of the church, it becomes religious. It's no longer relying, because it doesn't have to, on the power of God. The church is not us, the building. The church is us individually. When we get to a place where we don't really have to rely on God for our next meal, we don't have to rely on God on our situations, that, that we can come to God, we pray, but it's, it's not a daily thing where we're dependent upon him. So imagine this. Imagine there was war, there was calamity, there was pestilence, 
and we were forced to rely on God daily. Pray for our very sustenance. Pray for the food that would come to our table because we go to the cupboards and there's nothing in there. There's nothing in the stores. We would have to pray. We're destitute. Now, this is what's going to happen to a lot of the church. They're going to fall away. Frankly, they're going to fall away. You can say, well, how do you say that? Historically, look at the people of God throughout the history of the Bible. It happens. It happens. Historically, the church has thrived when it's persecuted. Now, I'm not, ask, I'm not telling you we should go out there and ask for trouble, okay? What I'm saying is this. Let's persist. Let's move forward. Let's stay committed. Let's stay determined and not allow our blessing to become a curse. God has privileged us. He's put something in our hands, something wonderful. If you can't make it as a Christian living today, you're probably not going to make it. Now, in our, in our country, now more than ever, it's easy to be a Christian. It is. It's easy to be a Christian. Try to be a Christian during the times when there was heavy persecution, where if you even muttered the name of Jesus, you could be murdered. The church of Laodicea was prosperous, but its prosperity led to this, self-reliance. Self-reliance. When's the last time, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, and I just, is you just thank God for the little things. Thank God for the fresh air that you have. Thank God for the house that you have. Uh, it's not a great house. You have a house over your head. Thank God for the clothes that you have. Thank God for the food that you have. Even if your wife is fantastic with the Instant Pot, thank God for the Instant Pot. Church, we don't pray with persistence because we, in most cases, we don't have to pay, pray with persistence. But here's what's going to happen. God helps us out because he wants us to pray with that persistence because persistence and faith are interconnected. Interconnected. And it's dangerous because our blessings, again, can become a curse if we don't handle them correctly. And believers who experience the blessings of God become very complacent and can lose their persistence. Again, man, God's just favored me, but when do we stop and thank him? When do we stop and just take stock of God? This is where I was, and this is where you brought me. God, thank you. It reminds you of this, that you know what? Life changes. Situations turn. You know this. Read the story of Job. Job is righteous, doing everything right, and all of a sudden, within a blink of an eye, it all falls apart of no fault to himself, simply because he lives in a fallen world. This leads us up to having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What happens as a result? We talk about the power of God. We reminisce about the power of God. We read about the power of God, but we don't experience the power of God. And this is what Jesus said the church of Laodicea would be like. They're not a church that is persistent pursuing him. They're a church that is complacent. We have everything we want. We have everything we need. Revelation 3.19, look what Jesus says. To whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Look at these words. Jesus says this to the church. The church, I believe we're living in the last days with all my heart. I do. I believe this is the church. He's speaking to us today. <clears throat> Here I am. I stand at the door and look, and I knock, right? I'm knocking on the door. If anyone hears my voice, he wants to have a conversation with us and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Listen, church, Jesus loves us so much. This is why he died. This is why he bled. This is why he gave his life so that we could open the doors to our hearts to him and have fellowship with him, 
having a meaningful conversation with him. He did not come to establish a religion. He came to establish a relationship with us. And he stands at the door and he knocks on our hearts. Will you just open up? Will you let me in? Well, Jesus, you became my Lord and Savior this day, this day. But when's the last time you let him into your heart and your life and you had a meaningful conversation with him? He's knocking. He's pleading with us. He said, hey, hey, do you have time? Can, do you have time to put your phone down? Do you have time just to stop what you're doing, just talk with me? In the busyness of your day, remember the one who bled and died for you, gave his life so you could be saved? Not that you have a religion, but you have an actual relationship, a conversation with, a conversation with me. Can we talk a little bit? See, if we don't have that, we lose our intimacy with God. And when we don't have our intimacy with God, we're like, what's this all about? Why am I going to church? Why do I do this? Why do I do that? It's a symptom, that's why. Because you lost that intimacy with God. God, where are you at? Where did you go? God's nowhere. Jesus is right there. Hey, uh, I'm still knocking. Can, can you let me in? Can we talk? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus is persistent. The Spirit of God is persistent. But here's the question. Are we persistent? Are we pursuing him? He's pursued us. He's done everything to pursue us. Well, when I got saved, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. He found you. You weren't looking for him. He found you. He began to orchestrate things, move things in your life so you would seek after him. But he was chasing after you long before you chased after him. He's persistent. Are we persistent in our prayer and our faith? Persistence is defined as continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Continual endurance over a prolonged period. So isn't that the essence of faith when you read it? It's a continue. It's not that we got saved. We're saved and we're being saved. We're in a relationship with God. It's not we just had an experience. We had an experience that leads to a relationship with God. Isn't persistence the essence of faith? Matthew 24, 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Remember, when Jesus at the end of the parable, what does he say? Will the Son of Man find faith? This kind of faith when he comes back. Will he find this kind of faith when he returns? If we aren't persistent, let's just be honest with, our, with ourselves. When, we're, when we aren't persistent, we become idle. We become comfortable with this world. We become comfortable with our situation. It's easy to become this in our relationship with God, to become indifferent, to become uncertain. And it begins to progress, become apathetic. We become unenthusiastic. We become disinterested with the things of God, with church, with all these things. Dissipation, nonchalant, bored, dispirited, half-hearted, lazy, impatient, restless, unconcerned. We just lack interest. And if you've served God long enough, you know those words because you've been there, you've experienced them yourself. And you know this, you can't stay there. Why? Because it will kill you. It will kill your relationship with God. It will destroy it. And at some point, you're like, you know what, I need to move forward because this is not the place God wants me. This, Jesus didn't give his life for me to have this kind of religious experience. He's died to establish an experience where I have a relationship with him on a daily basis. The widow in the parable has every possible obstacle in her way. She can give up. She can say, why, why bother? Why come to this judge? He is a godless man. He doesn't care. Why even, why even bother? And it's easy just to be, give up, become indifferent. Look at Luke 18, too. Let's go back to the story. 
There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard people, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, at least her continual coming she wears me. She drives me nuts. She drives me crazy. That is not the way we have to pursue God, by the way. You don't have to drive him crazy. You don't have to drive him nuts. The widow has no voice, though. The odds are stacked against her. Her only option is to plea a man who doesn't give a rip about God or people. Now imagine being in the widow's position, pleading justice with a man who doesn't care and isn't swayed by righteousness. Does this widow, does this detour the widow? Of course it doesn't. She doesn't care how many times this godless judge it, turns away. from it, he, She doesn't care. You can, I'm going to come before you and you can send me away. You can come to me and say, you are not a male. Remember, we're living in a different culture, a different society. You have no legal right to come before me. You bring a male, a male covering, a male protect, a relative who can speak to me, and then I'll hear your case. Because that's exactly what would have happened. All these odds are stacked against her. That law is not going to change. That culture is not going to change. This is what she's saying. Insurmountable odds. But she's like, uh-uh. I'm going to keep on going to him. He's going to hear my plea. He's going to hear my desperation. He's going to see my determination. Are you as desperate and determined as this widow in your situation? While the persistence of this widow is inspiring, it, it encourages our faith, Jesus actually draws our attention away from the widow. Did you catch that in the story earlier? He actually takes our attention away from the widow. Look what he says, verse 6. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Listen to what he said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth. God is not like the unjust judge is what he's saying. God's revealing his character, his nature to us through this parable. God is not like the unjust judge. Now you can feel like God has abandoned you or that God doesn't care and that's, that's feelings, but church feelings are fickle. One day you feel great, one day you don't feel so great. One day you can be out in the sunshine and the sun feels good and the next day you're, it's raining. It's like, when's it ever going to stop raining? But we live in Florida. There's days it rains every day, and there's days that it shines every day, right? And sometimes it does both, and sometimes it does both at the same time. Feelings are fickle. Facts are facts. Truth is truth. The Word is the Word. If you're born again, you are a son and a daughter of God. God cares about you. He hears you. He loves you. Sometimes God delays in a situation, not because he's too busy, and not because he doesn't care. It's actually because he delays because he does care about you. Sometimes a delayed response is a good thing. Sometimes a no is a good thing. How many of you ever asked for God to do something and it was a no, and you're like, I don't understand. Why, why, why? Then later on you're like, oh, thank God he said no. Why? Because his perspective is eternal. He sees it all. We see limited. And actually we sometimes see what we feel rather than the truth. Sometimes God's delayed response is a blessing in disguise. We don't even see it. 
But it's this, we have to come to this conclusion. I've prayed, I've trusted God, I'm going to plead, I'm going to continue to go forward, but I'm going to trust him. He's going to do what's best for me. Think of Luke 11, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Church, know who you are in Christ. You are a son and a daughter of God. When you come before God with your situation that seems insurmountable, seems impossible, seems desperate, you're not, be going, you're not going before the unjust judge. You're going before a righteous judge who loves you and gave his life for you. Our Father in heaven isn't like the unjust judge. He hears us and he knows our situation. And not only this, he knows what's best for us in our situation, even when we think we know what's best for us. You can recall the situation of Abraham, the conversation God had with Abraham regarding Sodom. This is an incredible story. This shows you how much God loves us and cares for us. See, God didn't have to divulge his information to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to... I'm going to destroy the city. The outcry from the city comes up to me. Their sin is great. I'm going to destroy it. God didn't have to share that with Abraham. Who's Abraham? Abraham is just like you or me. Why did God take the time to divulge this information? Here's why. God loved Abraham. You say, okay, I get that. No, no. But Abraham loved his nephew Lot, who lived in Sodom. See, God loved Abraham. Abraham loved Lot. Lot lived in Sodom, and that's why God shared with him his plans. Now, God knows this. God knows what's in that city. He knows the people. He knows the culture. He knows what's taking place. Why share this with Abraham? Again, Abraham loves his nephew. He loves his family. What is God inviting Abraham to do? Intercede for that city. Pray for that city. There is no other option. Why share it with him? His plan is to destroy it, destroy everyone in it. But Abraham, I'm going to share something with you. Abraham hears God's plan, and what does he do? He begins to plead with God, pray, intercede. Abraham says this, God, let's say you find 50 righteous people in that city. Will you spare the city for 50 righteous people? Now this, Abraham knows there's not 50 righteous people in that city. And he knows this, that God knows there's not 50 righteous people in that city. So God assures Abraham, I won't destroy the city if we find 50 righteous people. But again, we know the story. They know the situation. God, what if there's 45? God, what if there's 30? God, what if there's 20? God, what if there's 10? Will you, will you destroy the city for 10 righteous people? Abraham pleads to God. Look what he's doing. When he prays to God, when he pleads to God, look, look to how he peel, appeals to God. And it's the same thing we find in the, the persistent widow. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Abraham understands the heart of God. He understands the character of God. Abraham understands that God wants him to pray. He wants him to intercede. He wants to spare. When we pray in faith, we must never lose sight of this truth. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? Now, once you give that into God's hand, God, not my will but your will be done. You got to leave it there and you got to trust him. Now you can pray about it, but at the end you have to continue to go back, God, I prayed and I believe, but not my will, but yours be done. And you have to be okay with what happens because God sees the beginning from the end. He sees it all. You got to trust him. Will not the son of man find this kind of faith when he returns? 
God knows the beginning from the end. That's his perspective. And he has a perspective of this. I love my kids. I want to do what's best for them. They want this now, but I give in to them now. It'll destroy them later. It will hurt them later. And I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. They're going to have to trust me that I'm dad. Have you ever had to have your kids just trust you that you are mom and dad? You know better than them because you've lived longer. You've lived life like them. You've made the same mistakes. You've seen this world happen. You know this history repeats itself. There's nothing new under the sun. You've been down the road before, and you just got to step in and say, I'm the parent. You're going to have to trust me. I, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to keep something from you. I'm loving you. I'm taking care of you. I'm, I'm, I know where this is going. Trust me. If they really love you, they'll trust you. Luke 18, 7 and 8, going back to the parable. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes for his people, will he find this kind of faith, a persistent faith, a persistent prayer? When we pray, do we pray with confidence and do we pray with persistence? See, prayer doesn't work without confidence. There must be confidence and when you're in a good relationship with God, you have confidence. When there's intimacy, when there's love, when there's closeness, when there's security, you can come before him with confidence. Persistent prayer is an expression of faith. God doesn't necessarily respond to needs, by the way. If God responded to needs, and that was, that was his, his way, that was the avenue in which he works, that it was just needs, then, then what's going on in Ukraine wouldn't be going on. Because we understand what's going to take place now. There's murder, there's robbery, there's rape, there's all kinds of things that are taking place. And if God was motivated strictly by need, there would be the, there would the, those needs would not exist. But God responds by faith. Because we live in a fallen world, and church, let's face it, atrocities happen all around this planet. And God is looking for people who will look to him, to trust him, to allow the judge of the earth to do right in their situation. The widow prayed with persistence and tenacity because she believed God would do right in her situation. That's what she was motivated by. That the right, that God would do, this judge, he's not going to do a thing, but God will do right in this situation. And that's why she kept coming to the unjust judge with her pleas. No matter how many times she was turned away, she's going forward. Her trust is in God. Her confidence is God. It's fueled by the character and nature of God. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.